Hello and welcome to Connect Points podcast and sermon archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. What we do in our lives when it comes to worship. Everybody say true worship. Amen. If you haven't caught on uh, for the last few weeks, we, several weeks, we've, we've been in what you might consider a doctrinal series. We didn't call it that. We didn't put a specific logo on it or, or talk about it on Facebook or whatever. Uh, but we've just been hitting some key doctrinal elements for the last several weeks. I want to talk to us tonight, amen, of this idea of worship. We use the word worship a lot around here, don't we? Amen. We use the word a lot. We talk about, we say it a lot. Uh, we, it's been said multiple times in this service already tonight. And with that uh, being said, the fact that we use the word perhaps, I don't know, maybe even more than, than, than others may, uh, we should know for sure what we mean when we say it. Right? We should understand what the word means and, and what it means when we say it. Uh, uh, you can define worship through Webster's Dictionary. You can uh, define worship through somebody else's point of view. You can define worship yourself. Uh, but I think it's most important that we define worship through the Scripture, through the Word of God that we have a biblical understanding of what it means to worship and to be a worshiper. And before we even get into that, I wonder if we might just right off the bat say, I want to be a worshiper. I want to be someone who understands worship and involves themselves in worship of the Almighty God. Amen. And so the want to is out of the way. The will is already established. And that is so often one of the biggest hurdles that we face in our life. Uh, But we need to understand what we mean when we say worship. And right away, in the very first usage of the word in Scripture, we are challenged. Somebody say challenged. Right away, we are challenged by what worship can look like when it is carried out in our lives. And I'll take us to Genesis, the 22nd chapter, in the beginning of books, in the beginnings of the use of the word worship, we find that it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, uh, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. I want to point out that this conversation that the Lord has with Abraham is extremely telling. God is not confused about what he is asking. Abraham is not confused by what he is asking. It is very clear. When God says, I want you to take your son, he doesn't just say that. He says, I want you to take your son, your only son. 
And he says, and I also want to point out, Abraham, that I am very aware that you love your son, that this isn't some unwanted child, that this isn't some castaway, this isn't some burden, but this is a child that you love with all of your heart. Uh, This is a child that you prayed for, had faith for, and believed me for, and I know that you love him, and I want you to take your son to the mountaintop, uh, amen, and offer him up on the mountain. In verses 4 through 6 of the same chapter, 22, then on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men that were traveling with him and his son, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Stay here with the supplies, stay here, amen, with the animals, stay here, because we have reached the point now where I have to go with my son, and I have to offer him up as a sacrifice, except Abraham doesn't use that verbiage, he doesn't use the same verbiage even that is used to him from God, instead, he says, we're going to go up there to worship our God, we're going to go up there to bring worship unto the Lord and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Now, I've preached this a lot of times. One of my favorite messages is talking is in this verse, but we understand that Abraham's activity, amen, tells us that he was going to do what God asked him to do. Amen. He doesn't, st- he doesn't leave the knife behind. Uh, he doesn't say, well, maybe I can forget the wood and get up high on the mountain where there's no trees and we'll have to come back down uh, and get it and I can give God a little bit more chance uh, to, to back out of this situation or I can find an escape. Uh, he's calling it worship, but he's not dumb. Uh, he is not misunderstanding God. Uh, he knows that he needs the knife. He knows that he needs the fire. He knows that he needs the wood, and he understands that his son, whom he loves, is going to be the sacrifice, and with that understanding, he still calls it worship. Oh, hallelujah. Amen. He doesn't argue with God. He just says, the lad and I are going to go yonder and worship. You see, there are a lot of things that you could call this There's a lot of feelings that we can have about this first usage of the word worship. Most people's definition of worship doesn't look anything like this. Can I get an amen? Most people, if you ask them to define worship, they're not going to take you to the first use of the word and tell you about Abraham and Isaac. They're not going to go there and begin there. But I believe tonight that the scripture is not wrong, is not in error. Amen. But we have, this is where we start in worship. We begin by getting to a place where we say, God, all that I am and all that I have, I offer it unto you. You are my God and you are worthy of everything. Amen. 
Many times people confuse worship and praise. Praise is for what God does. We all we believe in praise around here, don't we? Amen. We have no problem with praise. Praise is extremely biblical. God does a lot of things that he's worthy to be praised for. Amen. God helps us in tough times. God provides for us when we're in need. He heals our body when we're sick. He touches our relationships and our families. He opens doors of opportunity for us for jobs. He does all kinds of things. He blesses us in a lot of ways, and he is worthy of praise for every single thing that he does in my life I can go down the list and say Lord you did this and I praise you for it Lord you did this and I praise you for it Lord you came through here and I praise you for it amen we believe in praise we 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 involve ourselves in praise amen but praise is for what God does worship is about who God is Amen. Worship is about who God is, and that matters a lot because, amen, we may feel like in our flesh uh, that maybe I don't have a reason to praise. Uh, Now, I would push back on that. I would argue with that. Amen. I would tell you that if you woke up this morning, you got reason to praise. Uh, If you got uh, uh, blood going through your veins and air in your lungs, uh, you got reason to praise. Uh, Amen. If you're sitting in the house of God, amen, right now we got reason to praise oh hallelujah but that also means uh, amen I still worship God uh, for who he is uh, whether I'm dying of sickness uh, or I'm feeling great uh, whether I just got the job or I got fired from the job uh, whether I know what I'm going to do or how it's going to work out uh, or where the next meal's going to come from uh, I worship God uh, because he stepped out onto nothingness uh, and he declared let there be uh, and there was uh, and he separated the light from the darkness and he knelt down in the dust of the earth and he created man and breathed in the man a living soul nobody else can do what our almighty God has done and he's worthy of worship he's worthy of our worship oh hallelujah amen and so there are so many things amen that are worship obedience to God is worship Obedience is worship. When God says, do this, and I say yes, that's worship. Amen. That's worship. Whether God is asking us for something little, or whether he's saying, take the most precious thing in all your life and take it to the mountaintop and offer it up as a sacrifice. Obedience to God is worship. Sacrifice offered to God is worship. Sacrifice, offering of something that is a sacrifice to us, is worship. Faith is oftentimes also worship. Amen. Because faith, real faith, puts me into an element to where I'm declaring and believing that only God can do. Or I should, maybe I should say it like this, is believing that he is the all-knowing God. The all-wise God. To bring it even down a little bit further, maybe we could say it like this. And believing that he knows better than I do. 
It takes faith sometimes to trust God that he knows what's better for us than what we know for our own selves, or he knows better for our kids than we know for our own selves. That takes faith. But when we operate in that faith and we say, because you are God and there is none beside you and there is none like you, and because you hung the sun, the moon, and the stars in the heavens, I'm going to believe that you are more knowledgeable than I and you have more wisdom than I and you know what's better for me than even I know for myself. And so I'm going to step out in faith, and I'm going to worship you. The end of the story is God providing a ram to take Isaac's place. You see, our struggle today, oftentimes, is that we want the ram before we take the walk. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. We want God to provide the ram when we're still sitting at home. We want God to come to us on Monday and say, hey, take the thing that, you, that is the most precious to you. Take it on a journey. I'm going to show you a mountain. When I show you the mountain, go to the top of it uh, and offer up your son as a sacrifice. Uh, and we want to say, okay, God, we want to say yes on Monday. But if by Tuesday he hasn't already showed up with the ram and nullified the whole thing, we begin to have a little bit of an issue. He wants us to take the walk. He wants us to go on the journey. He wants to see us gut up the mountain. He let Abraham get all the way to the knife in his hand. We want him to just stop. We want him to ask us something on Sunday and then let us out of it on Monday. We want him to ask something big of us and hard of us and challenging of us. And then, and then we want him to come and answer the question for us. Uh, I saw, I saw, I, saw uh, I shouldn't have started. My brain went somewhere. I saw a statistic this week that I don't even know how you get something like this. But it said that, that uh, 54% of millennials and Generation Z uh, would would like to be influencers. Now, I don't know if you know what influencers are, but these are basically people who get paid because they're popular, and they're on the Internet, and people watch their stuff, and then they have products, and then they buy the stuff because they're, they're an influencer. So they get paid to influence other people. The 54, I think, 54 to 57% of Generation Z and Millennials said that they would be influencers if they were given the chance. Now, just... Let it hit. Think about it for a few seconds and then let it hit. They don't want to do anything to become an influencer. They don't want to, like, do anything to become well-known. They want to have a lot of influence over a lot of people because someone just knocks on their door someday and says, we want you to be an influencer. And 57% said, if somebody knocked on my door and said that they would pay me to influence other people, I would be willing to do it. You see the ridiculousness of that thought process? It's a ridiculous thought process. But it's also a ridiculous thought process to think 
that everything that I get in God and everything that comes from God and every great leap that I take in my spiritual journey and every new mountain and everything is just going to be handed to me and I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go anywhere. I don't have to climb any mountain. I don't have to pray any prayers. I don't have to fast any meals. I don't have to study any scripture. It's just going to be handed to me on a plate and everything's going to work out and people are going to care what I have to say and I'm going to have all kinds of power and authority in the name of Jesus because it was just given to me. That's a ridiculous thought. There is sacrifice involved. There is heavy burden that has to be carried. There's a lot of journeys you got to go on and a lot of steps of faith that you have to take before God says, okay, I'm going to trust you with this and allow you to be a part of this. And I'm telling you, it involves a lot of sacrifice, but you got to get the right attitude about it. I know it's sacrifice, but it's worship. It's worship. I lay my life down to bring glory to my God. Whatever he asks of me, I lay it down because I want to worship my Lord. Oh, clap your hands under the Lord, somebody. Amen. The miraculous provision that we all want requires sometimes that we take steps of faith before they ever come. And that type of faith is worship. Later, God would say to Abraham in Genesis 22, 15 and 18, and the angel of the Lord called unto Abraham out of heaven a second time. And he said, by myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, because you have done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thine only son. In blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thy seed as the stars of the heaven, and as the sand which is upon the seashore. And thy seed shall possess the gate of his enemies, and in thy seed shall all the nations of the earth be blessed. Because thou hast obeyed my voice. Obedience is worship. God honors worship. True worship. It's a marvelous blessing of God. You see, true worship is reserved for God alone. True worship is not just hype for others to see. True worship is never shared. It cannot be shared with any other gods of this world or gods of our lives. You cannot split your worship between God who sits on the throne and whatever earthly God that you are bowing down to as well. Hallelujah. If we're going to worship the Lord, we have to understand that God is a jealous God. In Exodus, the 34th chapter, it says, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee, but ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. For thou shalt worship no other God. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous God. Lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, 
and one call thee, and thou eat of his sacrifice, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons to go a-whoring after their gods. Thou shalt make thee no molten gods. Amen. When we enter into someone else's influence, or we allow someone to enter into our life, that begins to influence us. The scripture here screams at us, take heed to thyself. Take heed to thyself. Means you better pay attention to what you're doing. You better think about your next step. You better think about this relationship. You better think about this connection. You better think about what you are doing. And it declares to us, don't make a covenant with them. Don't build a relationship with them. Do not connect yourself at that level with them. Don't let their altars to false gods influence you. Oh, hallelujah. We're about, we're about soul winning. We're about disciple making. We're about reaching, going into all the world. Amen. We have no problem with that. We need to be doing it more than we've ever done it before. Amen. But reaching into darkness with light is not the same thing as coming into a covenant relationship with someone who is regularly bowing down to another God and allowing them to influence you. Amen. And pulling you towards them. If you find yourself losing ground with God because of a relationship that you're in you need to take heed to yourself and get away from that situation because you cannot you cannot you cannot let God who is jealous see that kind of behavior he will not allow it to stand oh hallelujah God has no passive stance on this issue none and he's not about to change his mind. He says, for thou shalt worship no other God. Amen. Now, he is not acknowledging that other gods exist. That doesn't make any sense. There can be no other gods that exist, or there is no such thing as God. Any more than one negates the whole. Right? Right? An almighty, all-powerful, supreme being can't have another almighty, all-powerful, supreme being. Or it negates the whole thing. He is not, we know, you know this, he is not putting forth the idea that there are other gods. That's why it's lowercase g. He's talking about idolatry. He's talking about giving yourself to man-made gods, giving yourself to molten images, giving yourself to things, amen, that you prioritize ahead of God and that you worship with your time, your energy, possibly even your finances. He says, thou shalt worship no other God. Who you worship matters to God. How we worship matters to God. And if I'm giving my worship over here, amen, Monday through Saturday, and then I walk in here and I try to give my worship to God on Sunday, it ain't happening. You can go through the motions, but it's not worship because that relationship has been nullified when you bowed your knee to that idol, when you bowed your knee and you surrendered yourself to that other God, you have rejected the one who is truly God. Oh, hallelujah. 
For the Lord, whose name is jealous, is a jealous God. I know we see that and we, we think of that in our human terminology. It's not pettiness. It's not talking about a petty God. It's talking about when you truly are God. And people choose a man-made idol or a molten image or some sort of superstar or dare I say some sort of influencer to give their time and energy and thus their worship to. He's a jealous God. God, you see, understands what we often miss until it's too late. If you make a covenant with them, you automatically separate yourself from God. This is preemptive. He is preemptively talking to them. And he's saying, I'm trying to help you because I'm the God who made you. I'm the God who saved you. I'm the God who's going to protect you. I'm the God who's going to keep you. I'm the only God that can get you to eternity in heaven. And he's trying to preemptively keep us from doing something that would be ignorant and that would separate us from him. Because he knows what we often learn too late, and that is the gods of this world can't do what the God of all heaven and earth can do. And the gods of our culture and the gods of our society, they can't even touch. They can't even come close to doing what the almighty God can do. The word picture that he uses here is of a marriage being destroyed by an adulterous act. We were in a covenant with the Lord until he says multiple times we went whoring after their gods. I know that's strong language, but it's Bible. He says we were in covenant, we were in relationship, but then you went whoring after their gods. You went after them and you gave yourself to them for what little that they could give to you. You didn't trust God to take care of you, so you went to man. And man, man will throw its little measly at you. They can't compare to what God can do. But it's like an adulterous act in a marriage. That's the effect that it has on our relationship with God when we go after Him. You see, I'm trying to get us to understand something about worship. Worship is a daily thing that reminds us, amen, He is God and I am not. He is God and they are not. He is God and we are not. He is God and there's only one God and He sits upon the throne of power and authority and there's none near him or close to him he reigns supreme over the heavens and the earth when I involve myself in daily worship it keeps me on the right track and it keeps me in right relationship with the almighty God oh hallelujah how will we know he says how will we know that this has taken place and our worship and our allegiance has changed says they go whoring after their gods and they do sacrifice unto their gods. I want you to notice something here that you can, you can break covenant with God 
and you can go whoring after the gods of this world, but you're still going to have to sacrifice. The sacrifice doesn't stop. It just goes to another. I don't want to, uh, this living for God thing's too hard. God's asking too much of us. God expects too much of me. I just don't think I want to do it anymore. I think I'm going to give my allegiance over here. You better believe they're going to have some sacrifice that they require of you too. And the major difference uh, between the sacrifice uh, of this world's gods uh, and the sacrifice uh, of the God is, uh, is that when I offer myself up a sacrifice uh, unto the God, uh, amen, uh, there is always blessing uh, and reward uh, and protection uh, and love uh, and mercy, uh, oh hallelujah, that comes upon me. That if I offer my up, my sacrifice up to the gods of this world, it's take, 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 but they don't have anything to give. Oh, hallelujah. If I'm going to sacrifice, I'm going to sacrifice unto the one true God who reigns supreme of the heavens and the earth, the one I know I can trust with my life and with my family. Hallelujah. Do not miss the long-ranging effects of misplaced worship. He says in that, those scriptures, he says, our children will follow our example and they will intermarry with idolatry. You hear me? Oh, hallelujah. That what we do as parents, what we offer up our sacrifice to, how we live our lives what we prioritize, the things that we freely give to God, but the things that we think we've got tucked away and hidden that God can't have. And we think that that's okay and that's acceptable, but we're lying to ourselves. We're lying to ourselves because he's a jealous God. He's a jealous God. And it has not only effect on our lives, but our children who observe our behavior, they will not know and not understand uh, that we are making a mistake. Uh, amen. They will think uh, that this is correct behavior. And so when they get old enough, uh, they don't have any hesitation to go out and intermarry or covenant themselves. Uh, amen. Uh, with the idolatry of this world. Uh, you have to understand, hear me something not tonight, parents. Uh, amen. This is not just about you. You may think the sacrifice is too much, but let me ask you, what would you do if it meant your kids were going to live for God all the days of their life? What would you do if it meant the generation coming after you was going to serve God and was going to stand and believe and it was going to keep them from the clutches of hell and it was keeping them from the flames of hell and the addiction and the struggle? If you don't want them to be involved in that nonsense, then you need to get your allegiance to God clear and sure and make sure they see it in your home and make sure they feel it in your heart that we serve the one true God. Oh, hallelujah. We serve the one true God. There is none other God. There is none other. Everything we have, everything we are, everything, everything, he owns it all. It all belongs to him. Whatever he wants, he's God. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. You see, worship is so much more than just our activity in a church service. 
We worship in church, sure. Sure we do. But it's, it's so much more than that. Worship defines us. Worship defines who we are. Worship determines the direction of our lives and the direction of our children's lives. The psalmist often speaks on the issue of worship. In one such instance, he makes a case about our presentation of worship. And he says this in Psalm 29 and 2, Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. He says there's a way to worship the Lord. There's a way to do it so it's beautiful. And it's through holiness. He calls for us to worship the Lord in holiness. This word meaning consecrated, meaning dedicated, meaning a sacred. We we are the thing that is consecrated. We are the thing that is dedicated. We are the thing made sacred by His holiness in our lives. Our holiness through Him. And He says that this kind of worship has beauty. Everybody say beauty. Oh, hallelujah. Because one thing we need to understand about worship, sacrifice, is that it's not only the sacrifice that needs to be acceptable unto the Lord. We have to be acceptable unto the Lord. Oh, hallelujah. It's not just that we got the sacrifice right. I went and I found the right lamb. It's not just that. We've been talking about uh, giving. We talked on Wednesday about sacrificial giving and all these kind of things. It's not just that the sacrifice is right, but also I must be right. Because if, if, if that was the case, then I could just mimic what other holy people do. We don't believe or have any desire for mimicked holiness. I've been your pastor for a long time now, and you know this to be true. There is no desire in this church for people to be holy by just mimicking other people. That's not holiness. That's not holiness. It may change the way some of the things that they do. It may change the way they show up to this building. It may change some of their activity. Amen. When they're around church people, but it's not holiness. Uh, holiness uh, is something that begins on the inside of an individual and works its way out until their whole body has become sanctified and set apart for the work of God and unto the glory of God. That's holiness. But you need to understand something. And in my relationship with God, he says there's a beautiful way to worship him. And that beautiful way is through holiness so that I can lay my sacrificial altar down. But it's not just my sacrifice that's right, but it's also me who is offering the sacrifice. I'm also right. Hallelujah. That I also have positioned myself and placed myself in the beauty of holiness. And when I have done that, and when you have done that, that which we offer up in worship is beautiful. 
It's beautiful. Amen. Hallelujah. The Lord told Moses in Leviticus 22, Whatsoever hath a blemish, that shall you not offer, for it shall not be, everybody say, acceptable. It shall not be acceptable for you. The goat or the sheep, the, the sacrificial animal had to be acceptable to the Lord. But it had to be acceptable to the Lord for you. <laughs> because the animal is just the sacrifice. The sacrifice is just the sacrifice. It's part of the relationship between me and God. It has to be acceptable for you. And the psalmist said in 19 and 14, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. I'm going to say it again. I say it all the time. It's not just, look at what he says, it's not just what we say, it's also what's in our heart. The words of my mouth and... The meditation of my heart, they both need to be acceptable. Right? They both need to be acceptable. And so the, uh, the understanding of worship must accompany the act of worship. I can't participate in worship if I don't understand worship. We have to know why, who we worship. John 4, 23, 24, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. God is a spirit. The spirit of God moves upon, around, and through us in us we are to worship him in our spirit as well or with our being or with our will but we are to worship him in his truth that has become our truth oh hallelujah it's not enough to just do it in spirit I have to do it in truth I have to really believe what I'm saying. I have to really believe what I'm doing and why I'm doing it. Amen? But the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. The only reason why he uses this verbiage in this context is because he wants there to be an understanding that there is the possibility there are people that would be considered worshipers, but they're not true worshipers. There are people that would look like worshipers, even sound like worshipers, but they are not true worshipers. And the difference is, amen, that they're the, the, the true worshipers are doing it in spirit, but they are also doing it in truth. They're doing it with an understanding of what it means to be a worshiper. 
In Matthew 15, Jesus is questioned about not following the traditions that some of the people are pointing out to his disciples and what they're not doing and what they're doing. And they're questioning Jesus, trying to catch him in doing something wrong. And Jesus replies by questioning them on their neglect of God's commandments. They say to Jesus, how come your disciples are not doing this after the traditions? How come they're not following the traditions? And Jesus says, that's a good question. Let me ask you one. How come you're not obeying God's commands? I would say that that backfired on them a little bit. (laughs) But he ends the statement in verses 8 and 9. He says, this people draweth nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain, look at it now. This is highly possible. This is completely possible in humanity. In vain, they do worship me. In vain. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Their worship is an exercise of vanity. It's vain activity that they're worshiping me because they're not true worshipers, because they're believing doctrines that are not of God, because they're not obeying the commandments of the Lord, because they're telling people to do what man told them to do, and they're forgetting what God told them to do, and they're making a big deal out of this, but they're not worried about that. They're all up in arms because people aren't washing their hands, but they're not concerned that inside they're filthy on the inside whited sepulchers but they're full of dead men's bones and Jesus is pointing out this is not true worship true worshipers got it right on the inside and they got it right on the outside and their sacrifice is right because they're true worshipers because they're true worshipers oh hallelujah You see, my beliefs affect my worship. My doctrine, my personal life doctrine better be based on this book because it's going to affect my worship. Amen? It's it's all the time. It's literally all the time where I have... There's a certain sense a lot of times when people talk to pastors, and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to remove it from the people in this room for a second, okay? But when I talk with people and whatever, there's a lot of times where people, they go into this justification-like process. And I'm now I know you're a pastor. That's usually how it starts. Now I know you're a pastor. And I know maybe you maybe you wouldn't see it this way. And then they proceed to tell me how they've got their own life doctrine. Right? They've got their own beliefs. This is just the way I see it. This is just the way I feel about it. I just decided a long time ago that this is the way I was going to do it. See, that what you fail to realize is is that your beliefs affect your worship. Your beliefs affect your ability to worship. 
And anytime we disconnect our beliefs from the doctrines and the truth of this scripture, let me tell you something you won't ever do. You'll never take the thing you love the most and climb a mountain. No. As soon as we disconnect and we break covenant, it affects our worship. And how it affects our worship, frankly, is is that our worship gets overtaken by praise. And we, we get real, we don't have any issue with praise, but we actually fail to even realize we quit worshiping. We'll talk Jesus up. We'll see how great he is. He's done so many cool things. We'll praise him, but we'll fail to realize that we're no longer worshiping him. Oh, hallelujah. My, my, my belief affects my worship. And the doctrines of men will only lead me to worshiping men. It'll just lead me to worshiping men. Oh, hallelujah. Worship requires all of me. And it requires that all of me be focused on him and him alone. On God and God alone. True worship is never really work. It's never wasted. And it's never unwanted by God. He said, there is a God who is seeking worshipers. Oh, hallelujah. I'm just telling you, church. I'm just telling you tonight. He's still seeking worshipers. He's still seeking worshipers. There's a lot of people out there that would call themselves Christians. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to talk down on them, but there's a lot of people out there that would say that. There's a lot of people out there that would even praise Christ for things in their life. But there's a problem when the Lord says that I have to seek worshipers, that I actually have to go out looking for people who are worshiping me in spirit and in truth. You say, Lord, aren't they so abundant? Aren't there just people everywhere that are worshiping you? It shouldn't be that hard. But no, he says, I have to go seek after it. I'm looking if I can find a true worshiper because if he can find a true worshiper then he can be all of God he can be all of God to someone who is all in on worship someone who is all in on worship can get all of God and I don't know about you but as for me and my house I want all of God I want everything that God is and can be for me Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. Worship comes from the deep places of our heart and soul. It comes from within us, and it shows itself without us, on the outside of us, in our activity. Hallelujah. It begins in the heart, works its way out of our mouth. It's in our hands. It's in our feet. It's with what we do with ourselves, how we behave and how we act. And how we interact is worship. 
It's worship. All of these worship attributes, sacrifice, holiness, acceptability. These are all found together in one verse of Scripture in Romans. You know it. It's Romans 12 and 1. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is your reasonable service. Worship is giving God all of us. It's giving God the best of who we are. The best. The best. Don't just bring me any broken down, spotted, sickly lamb. You go and you find and you pay whatever it costs and you do whatever you got to do to bring me a spotless lamb. Worship is the best of all that I am. The things I love the most laid down on an altar. <laughs> it's everything. And with that in mind, Scripture still simply calls it my reasonable service. Still calls everything I am and all that I have and the best of me to lay it down and give myself wholly and completely to God my reasonable service. And that's not wrong at all because that God hung on a cross for me. That God vacated His throne, robed Himself in flesh, lived and then hung on a cross and bled and died for me so that I could have forgiveness and remission of sins so that I could be made a new creature so that I didn't have to live with all of the, de the, the, the destruction and the condemnation of my past. He made a way for me and that was just the beginning and He's made a way every day since and He opens every door that needs to be opened and He closes every door that needs to be closed and He supplies all of my need and He loves me. He loves me more than anyone in the world could ever love me. That's my God. And that's my God. That's my God. And that's who I worship. John was caught up to the, by the Lord and allowed to see heaven. And he witnessed heaven as it was prepared for God's people in Revelation 22. It tells us, and I, John, saw these things, and I heard them. And when I heard and seen, I fell down to worship before the feet of the angel, which showed me these things. Then saith he, the angel, unto me, See thou, do it not. Get up. Don't fall down by me. Don't worship me. For I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the prophets, and of them which keep the sayings of this book. Worship God. John said, I got, I got to step into eternity for a second. And I got to see heaven. 
and all the sights and the sounds that he must have witnessed when he was seeing heaven. And it overcame him so. And he was so humbled by it. And he was so blessed by it and touched by it that the angel who was playing his chauffeur, the angel standing next to him, John, falls down on his face before the angel and starts to try to worship the angel. But the angel, without hesitation, an angel created by God living in perpetual holiness in heaven in the place of God. An angel quickly says to John, get up, stop, don't do that. Because I'm just one of your brethren. I'm just like one of you. You want to worship something? You worship God. Nobody else gets any worship. Nobody else gets any worship. Only God. Only God. The angels of heaven are screaming down to this world today. Only God. You should only be worshiping God. You shouldn't be worshiping that. You shouldn't be bowing down to that. You shouldn't be giving yourself to that. You only worship God. You only worship God. I believe that there are people in this house tonight that are living for heaven. If we're living for heaven, then we are living to worship God for eternity. I, I, I'll talk about it all day as much as the next person. I love to, the discussion about the possibilities of what heaven might be like and, and even the fun conversations about what we might see and all that kind of stuff. I thoroughly enjoy it. And man, just kind of dreaming about what it might be like. But there's something you don't have to dream about. There's something you don't have to wonder about. And that is worship will be a part of our eternity for the fullness of time and beyond we will worship the lamb the great i am oh hallelujah the king eternal immortal the only wise god stand with me if you would please so words like sacrifice and surrender and submission and singleness of focus upon God alone for who he is. Not for what he's done, for who he is. Creator, Savior, Almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. He holds the world in the palm of his hand. He's God, and there is none beside him, and none like him in good times and bad times, in little or in much, in sickness or in health. He's God, and I worship him. Lift your hands if you would, please. Lift your hands. And let's try now. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, 
please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also, don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.